Make sure you are at CMA Shipping 2022 to see our guest today, Gary Vogel, don the Admiral's hat as he's crowned CMA Commodore. To register, please visit cmashippingevent.com. Welcome to the Maritime Podcast. In this latest Maritime Masterclass episode, you will be hearing from the CMA Commodore 2022, Gary Vogel, Chief Executive Officer of Eagle Bulk Shipping. In this episode, Gary takes us through his career, working at sea to becoming a shipbroker, working on the commercial desk of a shipping company, through to the boardroom and dealing with the ups and downs of the dry bulk shipping market. It's an enormous privilege to be CMA Shipping Commodore. How does that feel? It's a really nice recognition. I've spent my entire career almost uh, here in Connecticut since I was a broker trainee. So to, especially given the previous people who have received this award, two of which I had the privilege of working for, as I said, it's a really nice recognition. And in particular on the back of uh, the development of Eagle Bulks, I see it not just as a recognition for me, but for my colleagues as well. Excellent. So what we wanted to do with this particular podcast was talk to you a little bit about your background and how you came to reach where you are right now and give us some insight as to what made you want to get into shipping in the first place. I understand you trained to go to sea. Can you give listeners an idea of the young Gary Vogel and what it was that attracted him to shipping? I grew up in New York and I grew up sailing. So always been on the water and obviously being in New York, uh, have seen ships since I was, since I was a young child and always fascinated by them. And as I looked to go to college, university, uh, the opportunity was presented to attend the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. And I thought it was a really interesting opportunity and potentially to have a career at sea. And, uh, so I jumped at that opportunity. Having said that, ultimately, I I decided a shore-based career in shipping, but the intention when I went there and I graduated with a third officer's license was potentially to have a career there. Um, I also had the opportunity of working in high school. My father was a food importer, so I worked in the traffic department during vacations, mostly collating bills of lading, so it wasn't a particularly exciting job, but it gave me the opportunity to learn a bit about the ships and ships' names and schedules and things like that. So I guess you could say the rest is history. So what did you learn in those two early posts about the business that made you want to move up through the ranks in the offices and up into the boardroom eventually? It's really been, uh, you know, a journey, if you will. It wasn't a design that this is the path that I want to take. I started on the shore side as a ship broker. That really led me to the idea that I wanted to be on the decision-making side, on the trading and chartering side of things. And so I, I did that for a number of years. And as often the case is in shipping, I worked for a regional office in Connecticut for an overseas company. And at one point, there was an opportunity. They needed someone to run the office. And so being on the commercial desk, I was asked to do so. So it's been evolutionary. I've always... Uh, felt I've been fortunate in that the job has always become interesting for me. I hadn't had to go out and seek new opportunities. It's kept changing. And when you overlay that with the dynamic market that dry bulk shipping is, really not been a lot of dull moments over the last 30 plus years for me. Can you share with us a moment from your career that sort of best shaped your outlook when it comes to dealing with a crisis? It's something we're going through a lot at the moment, it seems. Perhaps you can share with us a time that beats the current set of events 
that we are currently facing. Shipping's pretty volatile, so I think there's a number of times that I could characterize as dealing with a crisis and, and some more long-term and some short-term, such as piracy. You know, I, I would point to when I first arrived at Eagle, I was hired here to develop a commercial platform of an existing company. But after doing my gardening leave, by the time I arrived at Eagle, uh, dry bulk market was in free fall. In fact, I came in September and in February, it reached its all-time low. And so my mantra really in, in a crisis mode is to compartmentalize and to prioritize. In some ways, it's a bit of a derivative of Stephen Covey, you know, the seven habits idea of urgent and important. And I really think that's important. I like to say here, you can only slay one dragon at a time. Doesn't mean that we can have multiple paths and multiple streams, especially when you're working with a team. But I think prioritization is really key in a crisis situation. And that's something that I always focus on. You're quite famous in the world of shipping for being able to turn Eagle bulk shipping around. And what's the key to that in terms of being able to turn a company around during difficult times? Well, there's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, first of all, it's surrounding yourself with really great people, right? Hire really good people and then empower them to make decisions. I mean, in terms of making decisions, to me, business is all about making good fact-based decisions with imperfect information. I mean, how great would it be to have all the information you need and all the time in the world to make those decisions. But, you know, that's not the reality on the ground. And so getting as many facts together as possible and discussing them and then making that decision is really what it's about. In my view, as we come in the office in the morning, we make those best fact-based decisions that we can. And then tomorrow we come in the office and we do it again. The difference is, of course, the facts have invariably changed to some extent from day to day. But it's really that process of gathering facts, making the best decisions at the time. I spent a lot of time looking back and asking myself, given the facts that I had at the time, did I make a good decision? I think that's a lot different than saying uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I would have done something differently because as we know, hindsight is, is perfect, but very cheap, right? But asking yourself with the facts that I had, could I have made a better decision? I think is really helpful and, and informs you, you know, for future decisions. So I also think in that kind of situation, asking yourself or understanding what are the critical risks? You know, what are the things that are fatal to the organization or the mission and if not fatal, catastrophic, and then take steps to mitigate those risks? I mean, people who know me know I like to talk about creating asymmetric optionality. And a big part of that creating asymmetric upside optionality is mitigating downside risk. And as I said, in particular, catastrophic risk. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you approach negotiations, as obviously it's a huge part of what you do. Can you give listeners a bit of insight into how you prepare for something like that? First of all, negotiations, of course, take on uh, you know the, the whole spectrum, right? From interactions every single day to very large negotiations on, on transactions. But I think the approach that that I, that I like to come with is is really that win-win. And it's not always possible, but if you approach the situation with the idea that both parties can come out with a win, is I think a great place to start. And whether that means leaving a dollar on the table or a potential for shared upside. I think is a recipe, not just for a good outcome of the negotiation, but for long-term business relationships and being able to come back and do more business in the future. You know, one of the things I'm proud of is that I have business relationships uh, with people that I've been doing business with for 25, 30 years. And I think that a big part of that is because of that approach, right? That this is not just a one winner and one loser, but ultimately that can create something that's a great outcome for both parties. Great. 
Clearly, shipping is a business that's ultimately all about timing, getting in and getting out at the right time. So can you give us an example of when you feel you've got it right, and perhaps one when you didn't? You're absolutely right. I mean, shipping is very volatile and timing is absolutely critical. You know, I think there's a number of uh, of examples, both on the positive and negative, and we'll get to the the, the getting it wrong in a minute. But on, on the right side, I, I don't have to go back very far. You know, we believe that we've been in a cyclical recovery in dry bulk since the market bottomed out, as I mentioned, in 2016. But we've had a number of setbacks along the way. And without going into all of them, listing some of them, such as Asian swine flu, trade war, tariffs on U.S. soybeans, the Vale Dam collapse, and of course, COVID and prices going negative at one point, things like that. But through that time, we, we believe the cyclical recovery was, was happening, especially with supply you know, coming down overall, the supply side on dry bulk. And then as we had a recovery trade, I mean, at the end of 2020, we saw an opportunity. And through a number of capital raises and other initiatives, we acquired nine ships. And we raised capital in December of, of 2020 at around $18. And just six months later, because of the asset price appreciation and share price appreciation, investors in that offering, it was almost a 3x uh, return at that point in six months. So I think that's a pretty good, clear uh, example of getting the timing right. And it's really important, not just for the capital raise in the six months, but really it, it enabled us to kind of be the final step, at least at this point in not just renewing Eagle's fleet, but growing it 20% since the time that I got here. You know, in terms of getting it wrong, you know, there's an example that I always look back on and it was one of the first times I was involved in new buildings. And we, we bought a few ships in Japan at the time and shipping had been pretty uh, challenging and the market popped up before delivery of that ship and we had a partner at the time and we talked about it and you know at that point you put paid 10% so about 2 million dollars down on a 20 million dollar ship and we were able to make a million dollar profit before delivery of the ship and thought hey this is great you know never a bad time to take a profit but that was the beginning of the super cycle and just a year later that ship had more than doubled in value so we left an awful lot of money on the table and it's one of those ones that if i get one back that would definitely be one if you're enjoying listening, make sure you never miss an episode of the Maritime Podcast by subscribing on the app of your choice. When you look back on your career today, what would you say has been your greatest achievement? And what moments are you proudest of when you look back at your career so far? I think if I look holistically, my proudest achievement is being able to, you know, or have been fortunate enough, let me put it that way to be surrounded by really great teams and putting together a group of people who have different competencies and different expertise to create a greater outcome. And this business is really challenging, whether it's the chartering side, operations, technical, you know, and, and all the support, you know, legal, insurance, there's a lot that goes into it. And so putting teams together of people who are like-minded and want to really create value has been really great. In terms of achieving something, when I joined Eagle, as I mentioned, the market was really in free fall. And I had my first restructuring meeting for the company just 21 days after arrival. You know, people talk about CEOs, you know, 100 days, no, don't make any decisions in your first 100 days. Uh, just take everything in and, and come up with a strategy. Well, if we waited 100 days, uh, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. Definitely not as CEO of Eagle Bulk. And so we went into a restructuring mode. 
and being able to convey and get buy-in of the various stakeholders in that consensual restructuring, I think was a great achievement because at that point it was our vision, but we had only just gotten there. We were figuring out where the water cooler was, right? And who the people were in the organization. And yet we had to convey why our lenders, why our shareholders should put more capital into the into the business and believe in the, in the management team. And I'm proud to say that they did. A number of years later, we paid back the lenders 100% of, of the principal, plus more margin. If that's how restructurings work. And our shareholders who invested at that time made very significant returns right now based on the things that we did. And also, of course, the robust market, um, you know, where we've had, you know, record profitability last quarter that we reported. And and so I think that's probably, I think, one of the things I look back and, and proudest of and that was that we did that just a f- couple months after arriving here at Eagle Bulk. It's been remarkable to see the transformation at Eagle Bulk, and you should be very proud of that. And what lessons from the past are you currently using to navigate the current challenges that are being faced within the industry? You know, I think the takeaway is as good as we feel about things and we can look at supply and we look at demand and, and all those other things, we never know what's around the corner. I mean, that's true in all businesses, but when you overlay the volatility and how volatile shipping rates are because of that fine supply-demand balance and, and then the potential of geopolitical events like we see today or weather and things like that, you know, it's quite dramatic. And so what I've learned over time is while you plan for the upside, um, you need to ensure that you mitigate that downside risk because a big part of, I think, success in shipping is being there, being there at the time the markets dislocate to the upside, but sometimes easier said than done. So as an example, you know, we were quite constructive on the market in end of 2019 going into 2020. We installed scrubbers on the vast majority of our fleet for IMO 2020. And I remember, you know, talking to the company at our holiday party in December of 19 and extremely optimistic. And then, of course, you know, we had COVID and I mentioned fuel prices collapsing, which was not a good thing for someone who just invested heavily in scrubber technology. But one thing we had at Eagle was we had unencumbered assets, unencumbered ships without debt on them. So it gave us the ability to put bank debt on at favorable terms and not do anything that was dilutive to the shareholders or or too expensive, if you will. And so being humble enough to know that we don't know where things will be and taking steps to be able to deal with what may come down the pike. And I think that those are the kinds of the lessons. And at the moment, even though the market is really robust, when we did a refinancing just in October, we have unencumbered ships as well. So we have you know, debt on the entire fleet except for four ships, all with a view that as good as things feel right now, you just don't know what's around the corner. When you look at the current landscape, which are the biggest risks outside of the industry that you identify? Obviously, there are challenges that are very visible and need to be dealt with, like decarbonization. Are there other risks that you're particularly concerned about currently? Listeners, please note, this podcast was recorded at the very start of the conflict in Ukraine. The biggest risk to call it the business case at the moment is the unknown geopolitical, you know, and it's it's demand shock, which is likely impacted by a lack of growth in, in demand growth because supply side, we're at record low in terms of the order book. And you mentioned decarbonization. And we believe that with the uncertainty around future regulations and uncertainty around what carbon pricing will look like, 
although we're pretty sure it'll it'll be there. Um, we just think that there's a lot of reasons why ordering a ship today is a really uncertain proposition. Not to mention that um, just on a parity basis, secondhand assets I think are are much more attractive given that they hit the water in a strong market and you, they start earning cash flow immediately. So we think that the supply side gives us a lot of a lot of reasons to be optimistic, but it's always that unknown on the other side. In terms of decarbonization, I think there's going to be huge opportunities for forward-thinking companies who have the balance sheet and the and the position and the trust to go out there and, and engage in, in the future ship and, and decarbonization. It's early days, but we definitely want to put ourselves in a position to do that. We haven't ordered a new ship since I've been at Eagle. And I said we wouldn't be part of the supply side problem. You know, I think at this point, we don't know for sure, but I think there's a very good chance that the next ship that Eagle were to place in terms of a new building will be a zero emission ship, which of course means not now, but we want to put ourselves in a position so we can be a leader within our segment, the dry bulk midsize segment, and what that means in terms of dry bulk going forward. Where are we on looking for clarity on what is going to be the fuel of the future to drive this transition? We've seen Maersk being very aggressive by building ships where there's no real fuel supply for them yet. This chicken and egg situation is incredibly difficult to understand what's going to happen next. Where are you in the decision-making process? Of course, no one knows what the fuel will be. It likely will be more than one. Unfortunately for us, we wouldn't even be able to be first movers in terms of you know zero emission uh, ships because of the nature of the mid-sized dry bulk market that we participate in. Fuel supply chain in, in some ways is going to be one of the bigger challenges of having the fuel available for the ships. You know, you mentioned Marisk, right? Line, liner ships know where they're going to be uh, well in advance, months in advance, even even longer sometimes. Our ships don't have a set schedule. And we call on hundreds of ports a year, many of them secondary and tertiary ports where fuel supply will be, will be limited. So I think you will see that first movers will be uh, liner ships, you know, vessels that return to the same places, such as ferries, cruise vessels. And then secondarily, you'll see the largest ships, which call on much fewer uh, ports, whether that's, you know, large V's or Cape size vessels. And then slowly, or hopefully not slowly, but then it'll go down to the midsize because we need to, of course, be able to fuel vessels. It's not just the ship itself, but the fuel supply chain. So there's a lot of challenges ahead. And again, we intend to to be at the forefront within our segment. What we're doing today is we're spending money on improving the efficiency of our ships because every ton of CO2 that's saved is a ton saved, whether it's now or it's in the future. So using things like low friction hull coatings, advanced weather routing, things like that, you know, hull cleaning skates we're, we're experimenting with now, things like that. It's all part of the mix. And we did our first a biofuel voyage a few months ago as well. So we're very much engaged in the discussion and want to be there so that when we can act, we will be able to act. Obviously, one of the big parts of CMA shipping is trying to increase this awareness and encourage technological advances and education. As the Commodore of the CMA Shipping Association, what advice would you offer to someone interested in getting into the shipping business today? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess when people start asking you questions like that, by definition, you're you're getting old or you're old. One, one of the two. We'll leave it at that. But, you know, 
I, I remember vividly someone who gave me advice when I was looking to get into shipping. At the time, both the tri-bulk and the tanker markets were really challenged. And I thought, how unlucky. But I realized, well, it happens happens more often than not in our industry. But, you know, joking aside, he suggested, he said, just get a job, any job, and get into the industry ask a lot of questions, put your head down, and then you'll find your place. And I did that. I actually had just one offer in a, in a very small shipbroking company, and I joined it, and, and I started there. So I think, you know, really asking questions, getting in, being aware, and then ultimately, you know, you'll find the path for where you want to be. If I look back, you know, I had a pretty unscripted path, if you will. I ended up moving to Copenhagen. I tell people if Lehman Brothers didn't go bankrupt, I probably wouldn't have moved there. I mean, there was the financial crisis and a need to to do a job. And so put yourself in a position where you're in a, in a good company and surround yourself with people that you can learn from. That's the advice that I would give to someone asking today. Thank you very much, Gary. And we look forward to seeing you again at CMA Shipping at the end of March. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.